0: It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Hello, welcome. This is America WK, and I am someone who would like to consider himself your friend. My name is Andrew WK and it is as always a sincere pleasure and privilege to be with you that being said i should point out that doing this show every week has been challenging for me at least i mean it started off extraordinarily challenging because i had very little experience and whatever experience I have gained in doing these last 21 episodes. This is our 22nd episode of America WK. Whatever experience I have gained has not necessarily reduced the difficulty of this process, which is not to say I don't enjoy it. It actually reminds me quite a bit of exercising. And if you yourself have any experience with exercise, even if it's going back to gym class or even very exuberant play, I'm sure you recall that type of physical discomfort. It's actually so total. It's such an all-encompassing type of discomfort that it is a mental discomfort, it's an emotional discomfort, it's even a spiritual discomfort, when you are in the throes of a physical challenge, where you're pushing your body, where you're pushing yourself, your true self, further than that self thinks it can go, you are entering a realm that is often not entered, and perhaps for good reason. And doing this show, to me, is like exercise. Talking to you every week is challenging for me on a similar level. But just like exercise, and just like any type of pain, as we've discussed before on this show, it is overwhelmingly worth it. The rewards far outweigh whatever sacrifices or discomfort. Is involved in this process but I want you to understand that because if this was easy for me it actually wouldn't mean as much for me and maybe it wouldn't mean as much for you I mean I think when when you go and see someone push themselves I think that means more to the observer or the audience member or the participant it means more to anybody than going and seeing something that is very easy for someone. Even if they make it look effortless, life isn't supposed to be effortless. The best things that we do rarely are effortless. There may be a certain level of mastery involved, or skill, or efficiency, that reduces sort of the wasteful energy, allows one to put even more of that valuable vitality towards the task at hand, towards the challenge, that, as always, we've talked about this, a good life is not necessarily an easy life. And good experiences, good work, is rarely easy work. And I consider doing this show with you to be the great work, the best kind of work. And work is not a bad word. We've all heard people talk about how their job is so great and they love it so much that it doesn't even feel like work. I have never related to that. I'm not discounting people who say that or meaning to disrespect them or even to say that they're wrong about that. I think that probably comes down to some type of personal preference. But for me, life itself has felt like a lot of work life has not been easy for me. It's it's been easy in many ways. It certainly should have felt easier for me than it has. I don't know why I have felt like being alive is just so intense and challenging, but it just has felt that way. I've had so many privileges, so much good fortune just handed over to me. None of it deserved, none of it earned. Most of the best things about my life I had nothing to do with just pure good fortune, pure dumb luck, and privilege. And yet, life has still felt very hard. I think about that a lot that maybe for those who have things very good in many ways, we still have to go through challenges. And if we try to eliminate them, or our parents try to eliminate those challenges, or society in general tries to make life easy for us we'll find a way to make it hard because it's supposed to be for some reason it's supposed to be hard that's what makes us become better people that's what makes us become who we are in the first place so maybe instead of putting all this energy into trying to make things easier we should actually seek out things that are not easy and not only go into them whole hog, but completely embrace the fact that they are difficult and even perhaps painful. So I am thankful to you and to this show for being difficult, for being a great type of labor, for being something that really pushes me out of whatever comfort zone I may be in. Comfort zones are very strange things because sometimes... The best you ever will feel is when you're not comfortable, when you're not in that familiar place, a place that often people describe as truly feeling alive. That place is found outside of that comfort zone. So maybe the comfort zone really isn't that comfortable. I've heard people describe it as a velvet rut, kind of being down in the dumps, but it's so soft and cushioned and cozy and snuggly and cuddly that even though you know it's not the best place to be and it's not doing you any good, it's just so appetizing in this very uh, physical way. Not comfortable for your spirit, not comfortable for your mental state, not comfortable for your overall being, but comfortable for your body in some way. Again, just like exercise. Maybe we'll talk a bit more about that in today's show. Today's show is all over the place, for better or worse, because I have a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Different things that happen to me. I've just been touring, playing my rock and roll music. I sing, lead vocals, and play keyboard, piano, electronic piano Rock and Roll Piano in my band, which is called Andrew W.K., so I guess it's more like a solo act, but I have people on stage with me for most of the shows. Some of the shows I play more stripped down with just primarily the keyboard. But I've just gotten back, uh, just completed around three weeks of shows. And uh, one of the things that people have often asked me about touring about traveling they've asked me what's my favorite thing about traveling and my answer is traveling touring the whole thing the whole thing is such a complete experience i can't really break it up i can't split it apart it reminds me of actually what's your favorite part about life being alive i can't break it up i don't want to break it up i don't want to split my life into a pie chart. I don't want to split existence into different areas that can then be weighed against one another and compared and analyzed and evaluated. The whole thing is valuable. The whole thing is the best thing that could ever happen or it wouldn't be happening. That is a fundamental aspect of a positive mindset. It's not that you're avoiding picking favorites. It's that the entire thing, this whole thing called being alive is your favorite thing. And it better be because we don't really know any other experience anyway. So there's a type of blind faith with that. This is America WK. We're going to get into all sorts of stuff. I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Stay with me. I'll be right back.
0: America WK, with your host, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton.
1: It's one thing to say, Syria is not our problem. It's another thing to say, Syria is not our problem, and oh, by the way... It's not even a big deal. We can do nothing, and everything's just going to get better there. That's just not true. If you say Syria is not our fight, then understand that there's going to be the migrant crisis and vast. We're not. They're not even
0: counting the dead in the Syrian civil war anymore. Have you notice that? Buck Sexton, weekdays noon to two p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, the king of partying himself,
1: your friend and mine,
0: Andrew W.K.
1: All right, we're back. America W.K. Andrew W.K. here. Very good to be with you. I was talking about how doing this show every week. And by the way, there's not been many things in my life that I have done every week in this particular sort of way. Of course, I've had jobs that I went to every day. I've had activities I suppose that were scheduled once a week or twice a week or once every other week maybe like piano lessons or swim lessons and things like that but this is sort of like a meeting I feel like it's having a get-together a time that I set aside to talk with you about life I've never really had anything like that I've never really gone for example to see a counselor or a psychiatrist every week, as some people do. Um, I've never really gone to church on a weekly basis. I definitely uh, have enjoyed the times I have gone. And some of this feeling I have reminds me of those experiences. Um, Maybe it's sort of like visiting a relative or a very good friend on a regular basis where you just have this certain schedule. But there is this this pressure that comes with this show uh, that I I feel like I owe it to you every week. I feel like you're counting on me, even if you're not. I feel like you are. I feel like I'm counting on me. I feel like the, the network is counting on me. And sometimes I feel like I may let people down, which in a way just is more motivating for the next week. But having this weekly, dedicated effort of an event that is ever-changing in terms of content and feeling, but always consistent in terms of, I know it'll happen next week until it doesn't. And I was talking uh, before the break there about how, in many ways, the closest experience that I've had to doing this show has been exercising. Because there's something about exercise where if you go really hard, where your heart rate is going to more or less reach maximum level, where you're going to be soaked with sweat, where you're going to be in pain, in that type of physical discomfort that only comes when you push your body past what it would think of as its limits. Now, I'm not necessarily sweating. I do tend to break a sweat during our time together on this show i'm not necessarily proud of that i just happen to sweat quite easily i suppose or it's sometimes rather warm in these confined rooms in which i'm speaking to you from Uh, but my heart rate probably does get a bit elevated there's more it's the anticipation of speaking to you it reminds me of the anticipation of uh of even before a concert my when i play these shows like i just was telling you of on this recent tour, this recent string of performances, I realized before I go out there that I'm I'm about to enter into this realm where I'll be in in a very large amount of physical pain. And you realize it's going to happen, and there's really not much you can do to avoid it. Because you're not going to not do it for fear of that feeling, and you're not going to hold back to avoid that feeling Because with this show, with uh, playing music, with exercise, you just end up getting there. It It would almost take an effort to avoid it as much as it takes an effort to push yourself into that physical discomfort. But one of the greatest things, once you get going in whatever it is that you're doing, once you take that first step, this inertia takes over this momentum, like running down a hill. And one of the best feelings in the entire world is that when I'm doing this show with you or when I'm singing a song or playing keyboard or when I'm exercising, there is nothing else really that I'm able to think about in the whole world except that. I mean, talk about being in the present. Of course, we cannot ever avoid being in the present. But there's a type of focus and clarity where because of the physical challenges, your mind doesn't have the ability to go and wander into many other things. Or if you do happen to think thoughts that are somewhat or entirely unrelated to whatever physical activity you're engaged in, in that strenuous moment, it might be very profound. It might have a lot of significance. You might Really take note of that thought because it would have to be something quite intense to pop in and manage to catch your attention in the midst of such overwhelming physical strife. In other words, when I'm doing this show, that is all that is happening to me. When I'm talking with you, nothing else exists, for better or worse. I know other stuff exists, but I I can't think about it. Or I'm thinking about everything in a way. It's hard to describe. But perhaps even better, now that I think of it, even better than that focus, that being in the midst of your own life, even better than that feeling, is the afterglow. And that's what makes all of these challenges worthwhile is the reward of having done it. And it's not just the awareness that you did something hard. You feel fantastic. Even when you feel completely worn out, there's an almost indescribable euphoria that covers your entire body, your entire being from the inside out and from the outside in. And it's a mix of all kinds of things. I suppose there is some sense of relief there's a sense of, uh, uh, of achievement or satisfaction and having not backed down or given up in the midst of a challenge or discomfort. But it's more than that. It's the feeling of having grown. If there ever was a way to describe it, that's, that's probably what it is. It's the feeling of having become more than you were perhaps just minutes earlier. It's the feeling that tells you that doing things that are hard are good to do. And that feeling wants to be so undeniably clear and strong so that you don't doubt it and you remember it. So that next time you're about to go and do something that you realize in advance is going to be very hard and very painful and very uncomfortable. Very challenging. You know that there's a payoff. There's a real payoff. It's like a bribe. It's like, you know, offering yourself a a reward, a candy bar, for doing something that you didn't feel like doing, maybe. And isn't it strange that there are all these areas in our life, all these things that we don't feel like doing, yet that we actually feel like doing more than anything? On one level we don't want to do them at all and on another level I don't want to say maybe it's a deeper level or a higher level or a level that is more connected to truth on that other level we want to do them and do nothing else we want to only do the things that make us feel like that well I certainly wish for you that at least once a week, if not once a day, if not once an hour, if not constantly, you are able to give yourself some type of payoff like that. Thank you for giving it to me. It's America WK. I'll be right back.
0: A party for being alive. This is America WK. With Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin.
1: I don't understand the particulars of the lag time and the build time and the ready time and all those things. Because I don't need to know those things. What I need to know is is it good for the Americans? And this isn't! This is bad. This is
0: very bad for us. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. A show restoring your faith in humanity to the power of positive partying this is America WK
1: with Andrew WK welcome back to America WK this is Andrew WK and uh just to sum up what we've touched on so far it's a challenge for me to do this show every week but as is said about much more daunting tasks yet still applicable here, it's the toughest job that I've ever loved. And all the best jobs or the best work I've ever done has always been extremely difficult in some way. Emotionally difficult, physically difficult. If I look back at life, it's always been the things that were not easy that were ultimately the most rewarding. And so maybe that can give us a little more confidence, a little more courage especially when faced with choices as to whether to follow through on an opportunity that might in fact be very hard, that might involve a great amount of risk, that might involve a huge potential failure, or some other type of intense encounter with the world, with your life, with yourself, just remember that even when those things don't pan out or don't go the way you visualized or, 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 or maybe are just a flat out complete disaster, they're not a waste. Nothing intense and challenging can ever be a waste, no matter what happens with it. And let us use that understanding, that reality, that, that realization, hold on to it and allow it to bolster us, to push us forward. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't have to know. We just know that it will be valuable. I'd say almost any experience in life that's going to push us out of ourselves ultimately pushes us deeper into ourselves. Very strange how those things work. The further you get away from yourself, the further you get into yourself. Well, anyway, thank you very much for doing this show with me and and, and letting it be that type of experience for me I I, as always sincerely hope that it's giving you some speck of a particle of a grain of a shred of good feeling or something useful even if you completely disagree I was talking to someone about uh, criticism the other day And how people that don't agree with us, people who think different than us, those are the most important people to listen to. Because at the very worst, we simply continue on thinking what we thought and have our position reaffirmed by considering other positions. But how can we really be so confident in our beliefs if we don't have the confidence to question them? Always question yourself the most. Then question others. But if people make you question yourself, then we can be thankful for them. Even if they do it in ways that are unpleasant. As has often been said, it's been said before, and I'll say it again, it is the speech that we most disagree with That we have to fight most passionately to protect. Just another interesting dichotomy there. Another interesting paradox. The things that we least agree with. Are in many ways the things that we have to fight. To allow. At least when it comes to. Ideas and questions. And beliefs and words. Of course, there are limits to what will arguably allow us to move forward or even continue as a human race. At some point, lines may have to be drawn, but be very careful in deciding when those times are. Because far too often, I think. We mistake wonderful opportunities for doubt and questioning and thought. We mistake them for threats. Threats should be dealt with, but only if they're truly threats. Otherwise, it's just good stimulation or something like that. So uh, on this recent tour I have been on, I mentioned it before. I went all over the U.S., went to Canada as well. And in Canada, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, I had an encounter, a very disturbing encounter, the likes of which I haven't had in over, gosh, probably 26 years. What was this encounter, you may ask? Well, I was playing an outdoor festival, uh, a beautiful day in Toronto, out on stage with my band. And there's a moment in our show in which I play a brief guitar solo on a guitar that is shaped like a slice of supreme pizza. And out of the corner of my eye, I notice a bumblebee. Or actually, it probably was a honeybee. It wasn't like a carpenter bee. It wasn't the mega fat super-fluffy, pudgy bees. It was one of the more slender, sleek, yet definitely yellowish-orange and black-striped bee. And I don't think I've ever told you this before, but for most of my life, for as long as I can remember, I've been highly allergic to any sort of stinging or biting bug. So that includes mosquitoes, of course, bees... Of course, wasps and hornets, uh, spiders, although I haven't been bit by spiders, perhaps ever. Any kind of uh, irritating bite. Now, I have many friends and family members that can get stung by bees and eaten alive by mosquitoes and maybe notice a slight reaction, but nothing that, that, that would bother them. And it usually goes away in a matter of minutes. Well, that has not been the case with me. And the last time that I had an encounter with a bee before this recent time in Toronto, was probably when I was about 10 years old. I remember it very well. I was in Michigan where I grew up at my elementary school at the time, which is now since closed. And uh, we were on the playground and we were by the side of the building on a little uh, sort of sidewalk leading up to the school doors, the back doors. On recess, and I was bouncing one of those red dodgeballs. And I noticed uh, as it bounced up on one of the... There was a little bee on the ball. And before I had the time to not bounce it again, I did. Which startled the bee. And then sort of in slow motion, like a science film, or more like a horror movie... I saw this bee commit suicide by stinging me, and it was completely terrifying because most other times before that, uh, when I had been stung, I didn't really notice it. I I mean, I didn't see it happen. I just felt it. But this one I watched unfold in front of my eyes, and my uh, hand swelled up very, very bad. I couldn't even use it. had to wear a sling, which actually at the time, being 10 years old, I thought the sling was kind of cool. Well, that was the last time until just the other day when I had this bee encounter. I'll tell you all about it. Come back with me, America WK.
0: You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stew. If he's going to run, I think he might he might do it this week. I mean, it's a good time to My, get in. Hillary Clinton is now being beaten in, I think, in New Hampshire by 11 points by Bernie Sanders. Right. 11 points she's losing. Unbelievable. I mean, both sides right now are completely unbelievable. Donald Trump should not be doing what he's doing by every previously considered metric. S- still up by 16, by the way. Pat and Stu. weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network this is america wk with andrew wk
1: only on the blaze radio network okay we're back america wk i was just telling the story of when i was last bitten by a bee last stung by a bee uh before the brand new B attack, but that was when I was 10 years old. It was very, very frightening. And again, the, the, re, the reactions I have, they're not as bad as some people in terms of needing immediate medical attention, needing one of the antihistamine shots, the EpiPen. I've never carried one of those around me. People have suggested that I should, but actually I had gone since that age of 10 all these years with many close calls But I had managed to avoid now for 26 years, 36 now, haven't been stung by a bee in 10 years, until just the other day. So here I was playing a concert with my rock and roll band on stage outdoors in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Beautiful day, great great crowd, great atmosphere. And during this very brief guitar solo... It's one of the moments I, I'm, I'm sort of standing a little bit more still. Uh, I'm not thrashing around quite as much as I am when I'm singing or playing the keyboard. The uh, guitar requires a bit more concentration for me since I'm not very skilled at playing it. And I notice this B out of the corner of my eye hovering around the fretboard of the guitar and as a result hovering around my hand. And my first instinct was to, you know, dodge and run away from it. But I remember, of course, it wasn't hard to realize that I was on stage in front of several thousand people and should try to play this guitar solo. But this bee just wouldn't quit. And I could see it getting ready to land on me. And I couldn't tell if it was already mad. If maybe I had been bothering it earlier during my performance when I was headbanging and whipping my arms and hair around. And so I started to move around a little bit. And of course, the more I moved around with this guitar, the more the bee seemed to get excited or aggravated. So I ran over to one side of the stage, looking like an idiot, all the while not really being able to play the guitar. I mean, trying to play one note, ran over to the other side. This bee wouldn't leave me alone. I got onto a microphone by my keyboard and explained to everyone there, I'm very sorry I'm being harassed by a, a bumblebee or a honeybee. I don't know what to do here. And I realized I can't go on like this. This is absurd. I mean, here I am. I mean, I don't know how many times the size I am than a bee. I mean, how many bees would weigh 220 pounds? How many bees would it take to stack up to reach six foot three, six foot two and a half? I mean, quite a lot. I'm bigger than this bee, yet this bee is bumbling my entire show. And here I am talking about it with you on this radio show. Arguably, the bee is now messing with me at this moment. After the fact, the bee won't let me be. So I began to feel very ridiculous that I was letting this tiny bee, you know, get in the way of me playing this guitar solo. So I said, all right, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And of course, there's a lot of adrenaline going through me. I felt rather invincible. Performing gives you this power. It's it's an an incredible feeling, and so I played the guitar solo and just figured whatever was going to happen was going to happen. Now I don't recall at that moment being stung or anything else. I finished the, the guitar solo and went on and played the rest of the show. Well, later, much later that day, after having been outside for another eight hours or so, and even playing another concert that same day, all outdoors, I finally got back to the hotel. And I noticed a big bee sting on my arm. Couldn't believe it. I was most shocked because I didn't recall when this bee had bitten me or stung me. I actually went back and looked at some photos that were taken earlier that day at the show. And I could actually see where the sting happened. I could see the sting there earlier in the day. I never even noticed it. There was so much adrenaline, so much excitement, so much distraction. But also a lack of allergic reaction. At least in terms of how I used to react when I was stung by, by bees going back to age 10. And I thought, wow, well, this is great. I've kind of outgrown uh, this bee allergy I mean, it definitely began to swell. It was My arm got very hot. You could feel the heat actually emanating. If you held your hand an inch over the skin, it was really hard. It was like a, a hard center. And all the previous bee sting memories going back even before age 10, I remember all of them. The other time, I was probably about four years old. And I was at school again, different school. This one was in California and I was playing with a jump rope and a bee landed on the jump rope. And I kind of like smacked the jump rope on the ground before I knew what I was doing. The bee stung me again, really bad swelling, really bad. And a lot of pain. Well, this time there wasn't so much swelling this time. There wasn't so much pain But a very strange thing happened because that night in Toronto, just the other day, after having been stung by this bee, I went to sleep in the hotel room, in the hotel bed, and then proceeded to be bit by something else three or four more times. I thought it was a mosquito, but it could have been bed bugs. My point is, all of this was so distressing in the most trivial and stupid way because you realize here you are again a full-size human being whose entire life for, for these hours was being disrupted by the smallest animal this is america wk we're talking about bug bites don't go away
0: This is America WK, hosted by your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip.
1: Neighbors say that the hot-headed Fountain was seen leaving her home on a bicycle before they started smelling smoke a few minutes later. Though the neighbors tried entering the home to put out the flames, they were no match for the locked doors and were forced to call authorities. Fountain rolled back home while the fire department was extinguishing the problem, but Cinderella, the arsonist, just watched in awe and didn't say a word. The Morning Blaze
0: with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: You're back on America WK. This is Andrew WK. I was just telling you about my very recent beasting experience. Or. I should say bee sting and mystery bug bite sting. I've gotten bitten four times. I'm all swole up, my ankle and my arm. I'm not exactly sure what happened. And it's the unknown aspect, the mysterious and unsettling uncertainty of encounters with bugs in general. When things start to get very small, I think uh, viruses, microbes, bacteria, no wonder people develop phobias about germs Because you just can't control it. And you know that even the greatest efforts that you could make to avoid interaction with any of these things, these creatures, are completely useless. At best, at best, maybe you reduce some small percentage of the likelihood that you're going to have some kind of run in. But from what I understand, we're covered in this stuff at all times. We're covered in animals and bugs, microscopic versions of of uh, crabs and lice and microscopic animals. We are literally made of them. I mean, you could almost look at your body itself as a big construction of little living animals, each with some version of its own thought process, or what we might uh, what we might compare to thought, some kind of intention that allows it to do what it 's supposed to do. I mean your heart, for example, sure, it seems like your heart like it 's yours it 's a part of you it 's just made of you, yet it seems to kind of have its own agenda. It thinks for itself, or it does things for itself, which benefit you. But of course, there's this whole subconscious operation. We're not telling it to beat every moment. We're not telling our lungs to expand and contract our respiratory system. We're not really telling our brain to even think. All of this is happening through some higher or lower order of intention. and you know, it seems like bugs and microscopic animals that we can encounter. There's an unsettling similarity to the world in which they inhabit because we, we want to think so badly that we can control this stuff that we can just, if we try hard enough through our ingenuity, through our, our sheer force of will that we can eliminate any sort of unknowns, any sort of insecurity. We can find once and for all a type of life that just eliminates these sorts of threats. And it's it's almost embarrassing to call them threats because they seem so stupid. To think that your life could actually be turned upside down by a tiny bug, whether it's a mosquito or a bee or a bed bug, but it absolutely can. Your life can be ruined by insects. And we know, that, I think, if I'm not mistaken here, that there's more insects than any other animal on the face of the earth. And that way, it almost seems like a miracle that we already haven't been overrun. I mean, it, it, they seem like they're extraordinarily gracious for not taking over, because it seems like they wouldn't have that hard of a time to doing so. Or maybe they already have taken over, and we just don't realize it. We like to think that we're running the show... But perhaps we're not. And perhaps it's that humbling, almost humiliating feeling that comes when you realize you're more or less powerless up against the smallest of foes. I don't even want to talk about this stuff in a way because it's so intangible that it almost seems like discussing something like bedbugs. Perhaps that will bring it about. I mean, this is where the paranoia sets in. You're so powerless that it seems like the only power you may have is, is, is to be found in sort of your thought process, like wish it away, will it away. When I lived in New York, there was one apartment I had where every single night, every night, whatever time I went to bed, whether it was summer or spring or winter or autumn, Whatever time I've decided to turn off the lights and sleep, a single solitary mosquito would begin to buzz in my ear. Now, of course, at first I thought, oh, well, this is just a fluke. I mean, it's summer. I was living in a very old, pretty drafty building, rather run down. Some mosquito just got in somehow. I mean, I didn't keep the windows open. Mosquitoes in the city were relatively rare. It wasn't like their ideal environment. There wasn't a lot of standing water, at least natural water. Well, I guess there's the, the whole river there. I was pretty close to the river. But this wasn't a problem I had dealt with a lot living in New York for many years. This was unique to this building, especially to find them in my bedroom. I didn't find them elsewhere in the house. But like clockwork, every night, as soon as that light went out, it was like a, com- a comedy. The, the, the buzzing in my ear. The... It was very distressing. And I, of course, realized that if I didn't do something uh, right then, that I would get bit. And probably bit several times. So I would turn on the light and patiently look around the room until I found this one Mosquito was always just one. And I would look on the walls, scanning the walls while sitting in bed until I saw it, and then I would kill it. And there was always a a bit of sadness about killing it just because it all seemed so stupid. Just so embarrassing that this thing that was smaller than any part of myself, it was like the size of some dead skin flakes or a hangnail was at that point, my sole interest, my number one priority at that moment was dealing with this mosquito, and then I would turn off the light, having killed it, and go to sleep. That was it. There wasn't another mosquito there weren't a a, a swarm until the next night, and there would be a single mosquito it it, it was it seemed like A joke, it seemed like this can't be happening. Especially in the dead of winter, where it was well below freezing. Where are these coming from? I must be dreaming this. I must be manifesting this. Your mind gets pushed by the smallest things into very strange modes of thought. And it is very unsettling how close we are to that threshold of insanity at any given point. And it's not the big things that seem to push us there. Or perhaps those big things do. But we would like to think that these small things, these little irritations, these little annoyances, these little inconveniences could never possibly take over and become a big thing. But it's always there. I don't know what to think about that. I don't know how to sum that up. What lesson there is to learn. You know what, actually, I think the lesson that I would learn is that it's miraculous that anything is holding together at all. That's what it makes me think. For the sheer example of, we know that if we killed all the bees because we didn't like them stinging us, well, that would be the end of everything. That would be the end of all life on earth. If that isn't the best example of the interconnectedness of all things, I don't know what is. The simple fact that if bees did not exist, we would not exist. As far as we know. And it doesn't matter if you're an environmentalist, it doesn't matter if you are a tree hugger, if you care about bees or not. If there are no bees, there will be no no life. I mean, I don't even think cockroaches would be able to survive. Or perhaps they would be the only things that did survive. We're all spokes on a giant wheel. And some of those spokes perhaps can get a little loose. Some Some, maybe you could even remove one or two. And the wheel would haphazardly continue rolling but at some point one of those spokes will cause all the rest of the spokes to break off and the whole wheel will collapse that's what I think about when I think about these bugs be right back, it's America WK you're listening to America
0: WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network
1: They are holding up these vaunted rules inside of the U.S. Senate, which Harry Reid broke a long time ago. And the fact that uh, Harry Reid was willing to flush 250 years of presidents down the toilet for his extremist Democrats, that ought to tell you something, that it's a new day in America, and that perhaps it's time that you have been given the the reins of leadership, Mitch McConnell. You ought to to at least do the same.
0: Chris Salcedo, Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK.
1: Welcome back to America WK. I'm Andrew WK, and we talked about a few different things tonight, but I really got zeroed in here on bugs, on insects. Specifically, mosquitoes, bed bugs, bees. I actually went uh, to Brazil not too many years ago which was a pretty extraordinary experience. I was very thankful for having the ability to travel to places like that. It is not necessarily the type of place I would ever choose to go without any disrespect to Brazil itself. I actually, in terms of vacations, I've never really been very good at taking vacations. As I said earlier, I love traveling. So the traveling to Brazil was fantastic everything about flying there uh taking taxis from place to place the hotels but the actual vacationness of this trip where i'm supposed to just i guess rest or relax or have fun that part has always been very very hard for me for as long as i can remember even when i was a little kid i liked taking road trips with uh, my family, but whenever we got to the place where the trip was supposed to take us, I just felt very, not even bored so much, I could usually find something to do, I didn't like not doing anything, we were just supposed to sit around, Uh, I always felt like I could be using this time to do something, I wished I was back at home so I could be working on my drawing or whatever other project I had. At the moment. I've always really admired people. Because I think that it is actually. A sign of. Uh, a type of advancement. To be able to. Take a vacation. I think I've had a. Almost kind of a compulsive fear. Of that open space. That you're supposed to get. From a trip like that. From a break. From relaxing. I think that that's, that's a skill. I think it's a talent. I don't necessarily think I'm a workaholic Um, although if I was I don't know if if I would necessarily have a problem with being one but I've really admired people who are able to enjoy themselves in that way I've always felt this pressure an internal pressure not a pressure from the outside world or from other people but an inner pressure from myself that felt like uh, I was supposed to do something And the the reason it's not that enjoyable or why I really admire people who are able to take vacations, who could go to Brazil and really love just being in Brazil is because you're supposed to be able to have times like that in life. You're you're supposed to be able to not feel like you're doing wrong. Because see, I'll lay around at times, but I feel really bad about it. I've admired the people who can lay around and not only feel good about it, but know that they have to be able to do that, to have a full life, to have a a complete life. Of course, we've all heard people that say, oh, I'll rest when I'm dead, or I'll relax when I'm dead. But if I really envision the ideal type of person, the most advanced, the highest level, the highest operating I would imagine that they would have some type of real ability to be at rest. Not out of laziness and not because they're boring people or they're bored. But because they knew that in that moment of openness there was a great deal to be found. And that it added meaning and value to the busy times. That contrast... Something I've been working on. Maybe you can relate to that. Some people are, you know, are gifted in strange ways. There are people who are gifted at taking vacations. Well, anyway, when I went to Brazil, there was a portion of this trip that was more or less ruined because of these giant wasps. And here we had flown... Considerable distance, invested a considerable amount of money and time and energy and thought and overall life into this experience to only have the entire thing, again, disrupted, shattered by bugs. By, well, these were pretty big wasps, I must say. Uh, Extremely big compared to the wasps I had seen In the U.S. at least. I mean, these ones were the size of hummingbirds. But still, I mean, it's not like it's the size of a bear. Of course, you can imagine a camping trip being ruined by a bear. But here was a a trip at a very nice hotel where we could not leave the hotel room. We could not even open the door or the window to go out on this balcony because there was these huge wasps. And as you are probably aware, wasps are very aggressive and can sting as many times as they want all of that turned on its head by a bug and in the name bug i mean that says it all these things are bothersome they are beyond an irritation or an annoyance or a, or a, they, they 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 do more than just bug you it's the frustration that something so small could have such a big impact I mean, when I've had these bed bug experiences, I had to throw away all the stuff I had on that trip for fear that the bed bugs had infested the luggage and would be brought into the house. I've had friends who had to move time and time and time again, abandoning all the possessions each time for fear that they would take the bed bugs to the next place only to find that they did four times in a row. They were losing their minds. What does this mean? It shows you, if nothing else, that, again, just it's all hanging by a spider's web. It's all hanging by a thread. Thinner than a thread. Everything can be turned upside down at any given moment. And I think what we have to be able to do... Is find a level of inner security that that can meet these tests, these bugs, head on. And the best and most important part of us cannot be touched by them. So that as much as they disrupt our activities, uh, the place we're living or spending time, even our bodies our comfort, they cannot disrupt ourselves. Us, who we truly are. To cultivate a place within inside yourself that is truly untouchable. And maybe that is almost impossible. But maybe that's what all these things are supposed to ultimately do for us. They're not supposed to drive us crazy. They're supposed to drive us to build within ourselves a place that is invincible not that we are invincible but that our spirit is the deepest part of ourselves cannot be reached by these things because that's if I imagine the most advanced person in the world what would they do with these bug encounters it would just be another test to them it wouldn't even phase them it might Bothered them the same way it bothered me, but it didn't bother who they really were. They were able to withstand anything. The smallest bug to the biggest natural disaster. It's definitely something to shoot for as we go throughout life. Let all these experiences motivate us to build that. America WK, I'll be right back.
0: A party for being alive. This is America WK. With Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Even left-wing foreign
1: policy analysts have admitted, at best, at best, is a very mixed bag, and the rest of us who are honest and don't have any uh, political allegiance to the Democratic Party say this is an obvious, an obvious capitulation and a disaster—a slow-rolling disaster in the
0: making. This is kind of a slow-motion train wreck of a deal. Buck Sexton, weekdays noon to 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. The Undisputed King of Partying invites you to a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK.
1: Welcome back to America WK. I'm Andrew WK. We've been talking about bugs. I wasn't even necessarily expecting to spend this much time on this topic. It actually even has made my skin crawl a little bit here as I'm still suffering to some degree with my swollen bee stings or mystery bites. Uh, They're itchy. They're uncomfortable. They look ridiculous. I mean, they look hideous. Some of them were even leaking pus. Uh, I'm not proud of this. Uh, This is what happened to me. But this is what this show has turned into for better or worse. I was thinking about bugs too, about the amazing quantities that there are, the amazing diversity, the amazing variety of insects. and I'll throw you know spiders in there as well, arachnoids, and I mean, you might as well throw in uh, all creepy, crawly sorts of things. the kinds of animals that we have a harder time relating to. I think that most mammals were able to, maybe just because of their eyes and their face, we have some level of comfort, even with the most threatening of those animals. But there's an alien-like quality to the eight eyes and fangs and eight legs of a spider. What type of creature is this? Why does this exist? What reason could there be for this to exist in the same world in which we exist? Of course, there's all kinds of reasons, some of them obvious, some of them probably unknown to us. It's the reasons that are unknown to us that are the most interesting to think about. Because like many people, I always have assumed that naturally humans must be the top and the best. And that just seemed pretty obvious from the start. I think, like we've talked about before on this show, as a very young child, I think there was a, a closer bond to animals and a, a type of humility that allowed me or any child to think of themselves as close to those creatures, one of those creatures to a degree, different, but not separate from. And then as I got older, there seemed to be a natural sense that I was superior to these other creatures. It just didn't even seem questionable. It seemed completely natural to think that humans were of a different type, that they were not animals. And then a few years after that, I started to doubt that, like many people tend to doubt those initial instincts or try to circle back to the very early types of understanding and think, well, maybe maybe we aren't so different from these animals. In fact, maybe we're inferior to some of them in ways that we can't even imagine. And now I don't really know what I think. I think it's probably a bit of both. Some synthesis of superiority and inferiority. But perhaps one of the greatest gifts that a human being has is this ability to contemplate? Is this ability to maybe feel superior to all other living things and yet then question that impulse and to allow oneself to, to stay in limbo to a degree? To not really be sure if we're better things than ants. To not really have to make a judgment as to whether human beings are more valuable to the big picture than a shark. Of course, there's this apex predator theory, and it's hard to argue with the fact that human beings have mastered this domain of Earth, have mastered, in some way, all other creatures. But maybe it's because these other creatures don't bother putting up a fight if bugs didn't want to be mastered it seems like they could put up a pretty good fight and could we even really master them anyway the experience we've had with DDT in you know not so many years gone by we did wipe out a whole bunch of bugs and started to wipe out a whole bunch of other stuff too We seem to learn pretty quickly that maybe thwarting whole categories of animals wasn't really in our best interest. And as we've watched the decimation of natural habitat for all kinds of other animals, we start to wonder what unknown impacts that will have. And how could an apex predator or let's say, the smartest animal end up destroying animals in a way that might even destroy itself. Is that not perhaps proof right there that we're not the smartest animal? Maybe it's these these other animals that aren't destroying anything. Maybe they have it figured out. Maybe the harmlessness of so many other animals is something to really take note of. And this is not said from a pacifist point of view. This doesn't have to be interpreted as an environmentalist state of mind. This is common sense. Maybe there's a reason that other animals don't do the things that we do. Maybe it isn't because they couldn't do them, or maybe they could do similar things in their own way, and they choose not to, not out of ignorance or lack of ability or lack of organizational power but because there's some deeper understanding that maybe they have as a second nature. Do we have that? Do we have that type of inherent common sense? We would have to uh, believe that if we killed everything in one way or another, it would have to have some kind of negative impact on ourselves. And I'm not saying we are killing everything. And I'm not saying that even when things die away, that it's necessarily all due to us. That's not what this conversation is trying to get at. It's simply trying to observe these other creatures and consider what intelligence they possess. Intelligence that may be of an entirely different sort. A type of intelligence that we can't even really imagine. Doesn't mean it's more advanced. It's just alien. There's aliens living with us on this planet in terms of our understanding. This, of course, was brilliantly illustrated in several books by Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So long, thanks for all the fish. Some of which I attempted to read as a very young person, uh, mainly attracted to their covers, the beautiful cover illustrations. I really liked... That uh, green ball character uh, and the lettering and the thumbs up, the hitchhiking hand. But one thing, of course, that was uh, very striking among many things was the idea that mice were in charge of everything. And part of their brilliance allowed them to be in charge unbeknownst to us very inspiring these types of thoughts not threatening they're inspiring they're not upsetting they're not even absurd there's real value in this type of consideration at least i think so it's america wk i'll be right back
0: this is america wk with your friend and mine andrew wk only on the blaze radio network miss the morning blaze with doc and skip
1: the two criminals flew the coop and left the scene to let the birds lay and die however they migrated back a few hours later to finish the job and stomp the creatures to death just because they could authorities have released the images that are asking anyone who may be able to identify these foul killers to please give them a call so they can stomp these two to jail and make sure no birdie will do this again the
0: morning blaze with doc and skip weekday mornings six to nine eastern on the blaze radio network This is America WK with Andrew WK only
1: on the Blaze Radio Network Okay, thank you for coming back with me to Andrew WK's America WK show Today's show has bugged me out given me the willies given me a creepy crawly feeling but it's good it's made me think long and hard about insects and what they might represent, what they might symbolize what they might signify what they could teach us or what they can inspire us to do Because these little things can have great power in unusual and unexpected ways. Not all power comes from physical strength or size. Not all power comes from intellect. Not all power is even describable at all. It manifests in alien ways, in strange, dreamlike ways. I can imagine millions of years ago before many animals walked the earth, before humans existed in any version, where there just were monstrous bugs, insects. In fact, they couldn't be called bugs back then because there was nothing for them to bug. There was no humans for them to annoy. And I'm sure they were... As happy as they ever could be. If they even can experience emotions at all. They may be advanced beyond emotion. If there is such a thing. And in a much darker way. I can envision. A nightmarish future possibility. However many years from now. Where perhaps. Humans and most animals. Are also vanished from the face of the earth and once again bugs claim the domain as their own would they even notice that we had gone at first i would think no these bugs wouldn't even care but that seems a bit cynical and a bit negative Because as much as humans seem separate and apart and removed from nature and from insects and from all these other areas of life forms, we know that in some way, perhaps beyond our understanding at times, we are invaluable and we are as interconnected as anything else. And that these bugs depend on us just as much as we might depend on them. In ways that they can't understand much as we can't understand. With all our struggles, with all our potential shortcomings, we still have things relatively in balance. We're holding on, perhaps only by something thinner than a thread, As a friend of mine once said, our mind is hanging by the thought of a thread or severed by the thought of a thread. But wouldn't it just be a tremendous waste, a tremendous failure, if all these efforts that we have made and that in many ways have been made long before us, if all this incredible Procedure amounted to nothing or was vanquished by ignorance, by stupidity, by weakness, by a lack of integrity, by a lack of strength, by a lack of clarity. This is not all meaningless. We've arrived here through extraordinary events many of which we had a very direct hand in seeing through. It's not been without flaw. It's not been without error. But somehow things have held together. Enough to be called a world. Enough to be called a human race. Enough to be called a planet. We still have it. This is the time to really look around and appreciate all of it. Even if just for a moment, then we can go back to picking it apart, to criticizing certain aspects of it, to judging certain people. But for just one moment, let's just pretend or imagine that everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. In a way that defies logic, that defies common sense, that defies reason, but just allows us to experience the totality of all things as they are right now as somehow meaningful and good. It doesn't mean they can't be improved. It doesn't mean they can't be solved. It doesn't mean there aren't vast areas that we need to address. But let us be thankful. For all that has happened that has allowed us to have anything at all here now. For every bug, every other creature, every extraordinary expanse of time that has led to us all being here in this state, in whatever state that we may be in. Let's not judge it as good or bad, let's judge it only as being. It is good to be with you once again. For this show about bugs. It's America WK. I cannot thank you enough for talking with me again today. Stay strong. I love you. Talk to you next
0: week. This is America WK, hosted by your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.